0: Hi, I'm Robin Black, and this is Robin Thinks, Deconstructing Books That Wrecked Us. As children, we're taught to listen to adults and other authorities, but adults teach us very different things, and we end up trying to operate on very different messages. The older we get, the more conflicting messages begin piling up until we no longer know what is right or true anymore. Deconstruction is the picking apart of these various messages to understand which ones work for us and which ones don't. In this podcast, I will deconstruct some of the most popular books in Christianity to determine which ones have harmful messages and what those messages are. So you can decide for yourself which ones are worth keeping and which need to be thrown away. So today I want to talk about a word that is just so triggering to me. And I suspect that it's it's probably triggering to a lot of people. Um, I'm not gonna lie i I just spent a lot of time uh procrastinating about this episode because I've spent so long now studying the concept of submission. And even though I understand it now and i and it's not as um intimidating to me it's just been so weaponized against me that it's just a really hard thing for me to talk about it just it kind of sets my teeth on edge to even think about it um but because it's been so weaponized against me I actually I don't have to say I think it's been I know it has been weaponized against so many other people particularly in the church uh you hear it in phrases like um being teachable. Like we we value this idea that someone is teachable. And it's not necessarily that it's a bad thing to be teachable, but more often than not, when that uh, phrase is used in churches, what it means is moldable and shapeable. In other words, it's, I need you to be willing to mold yourself into what I want you to be. And so this is why I want to talk about submission because it's, and it's not just at churches that the idea of submission is really misused. It's also misused in a lot of companies and businesses. Anytime there is a relationship in which there is a perceived superior and a subordinate, there is this expectation of submissiveness. So, Understanding this power structure and this power dynamic, it tells me exactly why Um, Focus on the Family is probably never going to get rid of this book. Emerson Egricks is probably never going to stop speaking in um, Christian organizations because his book sets up a very specific power dynamic, which is reinforced by churches, Okay. What I talk about is relationships. I talk about power imbalances, and all of these concepts exist in every single relationship. They they exist in parent-child relationships. They exist in um, married relationships. They exist in like employer-employee relationships. And there are healthy dynamics, and there are unhealthy dynamics. That's it. And all relationships, all good relationships, all healthy relationships exist on the exact same dynamics and all unhealthy relationships have the exact same dynamics. There is a power imbalance that results in the abuse of authority. That is how unhealthy relationships are created, okay? The structure or the the way that Emerson Egrick's lays out relationships between men and women or marital relationships is going to inherently create a power imbalance okay whenever you hear about submission it's almost always the person of low lower power needs to submit to the person of higher power this is almost always how these power structures and these power dynamics are presented and how submission is always um, communicated. So the consistent messaging is that women are to submit to men. And that is so not biblical, but you hear this in churches. You hear that like women aren't allowed to speak in churches because of male headship, because God created man to be the head or God created man to be above women. So what what gets created, the image that's always created, is its hierarchy, right? Men promote hierarchy. Hierarchy is um, approved of by God. It's created by God. And the hierarchy is men are above women. So last week, I talked about power and control. And this week, I want to talk about the flip side of that, which is submission. So there are always going to be people that are going to claim to have God-given authority over you, that do not have authority over you. God has never given us authority over other people. As I said, Leslie, authority comes with responsibility. You do not get authority over unless you also take responsibility. But even authority only goes so far, okay? Um, I'm gonna be, I'm working on a leadership series right now. And one of the things that I wanna, um, talk about I'm actually going to be deconstructing the TV show Yellowstone. And if people are familiar with Kristen Dumais Jesus and John Wayne, I think it's really interesting that this TV show Yellowstone every time I watch it, it is the most perfect picture of the American church. It is so spot on a perfect um allegory for the American church and the power dynamics that exist in the, the American church that are so toxic. Okay. But the but the main underlying principle, the, the 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 foundational principle that starts everything else being toxic is the idea of ownership. Okay. This is a major problem in America and probably maybe since the dawn of time is this idea of ownership ownership what belongs to me okay uh you hear this um i take care of my own right um churches become an us them we believe this we are not like them okay we are one tribe the earth is one tribe we are all children of god every single one of us we are equally beloved of god god does not favor one group over another. God God, God does not play favorites. God does not have favorites, okay? And the earth does not belong to us. We do not own it. We do not own people. We do not own the earth. We are called to be stewards. We are called to be stewards of this earth. And what's interesting about the TV show Yellowstone is that all of the toxicity, all of the power and the control, and the, comes from this idea that he owns the ranch. It all starts with ownership, okay? And this is one of the major problems in the church is this idea of owner. it's mine. It belongs to me. It is my property, okay? This is a serious problem in relationships because men will take care of what belongs to them. They will take care of their property. They will take care of what is theirs. And we need to understand the difference between stewardship and ownership. And one of the main problems in churches is you have pastors acting as if it belongs to them. They treat the church as if it is their property, as opposed to they are simply stewards of what God has given them. The church, the earth, everything on it, it all belongs to God. And so one of the big problems is that when you treat something as if you own it, as if it is your property, then it further, um, it, it follows this idea that everyone is supposed to submit to you. We are not called to submit to man. We are called to submit to God. I'm going to give you a perfect example of this. Um. I was a missionary for 10 years. Ironically, I was a missionary to churches. I was a missionary in America to churches in America. And it just so happens that this organization was founded by a man named Charles Tanner who wrote about 2000 plays. And he was actually and first of all he was brilliant and second of all he was an amazing theologian. And so one of the big reasons that I know so much about power dynamics and particularly power dynamics in churches is because this is what I did. He wrote these plays um to to basically like call out bad behavior in the church, to call out um you know, what does self righteousness look like? Like we talk about these concepts, you know, like self righteousness or grace or um, forgiveness, um, but they're just they're kind of theoretical. We don't know what they actually look like. So what this guy did is he wrote these amazing plays that would just leave you on the floor because he would bring these concepts to life. He would show you exactly what they look like in real time. Okay. He was really brilliant. But the problem was he didn't follow his own advice, basically. And so all of these things that he's calling out in churches, he actually brought into his own organization. So I spent 10 years um, working seven days a week for four and a half months at a time and making about $20 to $60 a week. Uh, I had to live in a van for four and a half months with three or four other people. Okay, so this is how I know so much about relational dynamics and what are the principles of good relationship and what are the principles of bad relationship? What are the toxic principles of relationship? Because I spent 10 years of my life having to spend four and a half months traveling around the country in a van with three or four other people. I spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week with these people. So I can promise you, I am a relational ninja. Um, so one of the problems in churches and how this relates to churches is pastors believe or they act like their church members are supposed to be submissive To them or that women are supposed to submit to men that's not how it works so I'm in this theater ministry and I was in it for I think like three years and then the founder had a stroke and his daughter came back from Europe and was scheduled to take over the ministry okay now the way that her father had structured it the way that he would set it up is um he abused his power a lot. He, he literally called himself a benevolent dictator, okay? But he did call himself a dictator. He fully admitted that he was a dictator. And because he was a nonprofit, he had to have a board. But what he did is, and this is very common in churches, um, especially that are led by like a very charismatic pastor, he had a board that was sort of spread all over the country, And so they never met together. So the board had literally zero authority. They pretty much existed on paper and that was it. And that was exactly how he wanted it. So uh, he was, that was, he was exactly that. He he had, he had no accountability to anyone. And yet at one point in time, there were uh, about 500 people in this organization. So he was responsible for 500 people. 500 people were like committed to him. But he didn't actually view himself as having accountability to anyone. So he treated us as if we were property. And and one of the big problems with this is that the, the rules were kind of constantly changing. So when it came time to work, we're employees, right? So every team had a team leader. And your team leader literally dictated every single minute of your day. I would get, when I was not the team leader, I would get told uh, when I needed to get up. Uh, There were times when we'd still be rehearsing at nine o'clock at night. Um, We would, you know, sometimes we would have to meet for devotions at like seven o'clock in the morning, and then we'd be having rehearsal at nine o'clock at night. So we had to go out, we had to book all of our own performances. So we did what they called PR, they called it public relations, but really it's just sales. We went, we were door to door salesmen that went out like selling our performances. Okay. And then we were a repertory theater. And so we had like 3000 plays that we performed from. So we constantly were putting together new plays. So, which means you're constantly learning lines and rehearsing and blocking and you're just, it's just constant. So you spend all your day, you're uh, do, you know, you're, you're selling performances. You're going door to door, like uh, to churches, like selling your performances. We also performed in like nursing homes and schools and on military bases. So we, we performed in a lot of different places, but our pretty much our big bread and butter was churches and nursing homes. So we had to go out knocking on doors, basically selling our performances. And then we had to like put together all the performances. We had to book all the performances. We did all the paperwork. Um, we stayed in people's homes. And so, socializing was literally a part of our job. So when you've had a long day and you quote unquote, go home at the end of the day, you're not done. Now you have like dinner with your hosts and you socialize. That's literally a part of my job. I am an introvert. I am a deep, deep, deep died in the world would introvert. And so I'm having to like be on and interact with people 12, 14, 15 hours a day. So it, I mean, it was exhausting. I learned so much in that time. And I, I would never, ever I would not trade one single second of that time. And I would never do it again, ever. Okay. But the founder of the organization had a stroke. And so he had spent all these years. I think the organization had been around for like 35 years by the time he had a stroke. And so his daughter came over and the way he had set it up is uh, once he was no longer in charge. There, he, he made it so that there were three vice presidents. So it was her and her husband, and then a man that had been in the organization since the very beginning. Um, And so she didn't like that. And so what started happening is she started taking more and more and more power away from the two other men. And... We started having conflict because, um, I had been a leader for about, uh, I think about a year, maybe a year and a half at that point in time. And I I just, I really felt stuck. I felt like I was capable of so much, but I just kept feeling like I was sort of spinning my wheels and spinning my wheels. And I just, I couldn't seem to quite like live up to my potential or live up to the potential that I knew that I had. And so finally, this one tour, I remember um, it was bad. It was really bad. I just, uh, we did these like 18 week tours and basically for like the first eight weeks, I just, I was, I was, I wouldn't say I was depressed. I was just stuck. Like I couldn't even get out of bed. I just could not figure out like what was wrong with me? Like what something was holding me back and I didn't know what it was. And I-, I just, I don't know how else to describe it, but I was just stuck. Like I couldn't even get out of bed and my team, you know, obviously I had to get out of bed because we've moved like frequently, but I just um, like my team members were like really concerned about me. And I just had these really amazing team members that just kind of kept things going and sort of carried me through those first eight weeks. And then I remember, I'll never forget this. um, There was a movie that some people might be aware of. It's called Blue Crush. It's It's not like a great movie. It's not like a blockbuster, but I think particularly back then, there just were so few movies for women, about women, made by women, like that weren't chick flicks, like women that were actually doing something. And so it was a, it was this movie about these these female surfers, okay? And I remember going and seeing this movie and this movie changed my life. I'm not even kidding. And I just I remember watching that movie and I remember just being so inspired by that movie. And there was a mo- there's a line from that movie that has stuck with me ever since. It it just it changed my life. It was so it, like a light bulb went off. Um, so many things happened when I watched that movie, but there's this scene where um, so it's so it's this surfer. And she was like a big hot shot, like young champion surfer. Okay, but then she got in an accident, and she something happened where she almost drowned. She almost didn't live. So she just had a lot of fear over competing in this particular competition and so she goes out and she kind of starts to compete and she like kind of wipes out and she just is really sketchy she just can't quite engage and so she has she's met this guy she met a boy because it's still a you know girl movie it's still a chick flick so of course there has to be a guy involved right so she meets this guy and he's a football player but here's the thing. It's, it's at the end of the, it's close to the end of the movie. Here is the scene that changed my life, right? She's laying on the stretcher and she looks at him and she says, just tell me what to do. I don't know what to do. Just tell me what to do. And he says, be that girl you were when we first met. And she said, who is that? And he said, this is, here it is. Here it is, lady. Find this guy. Find this guy. He looks at her and he says, The girl that would never ask a guy what to do. Oh my gosh. That line right there, that line, that changed my life. And ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to relationships, this is such an important concept, especially when we're going to talk about submission. And I think I'm actually going to extend this submission, uh, uh episode into into two because there's just so much to talk about i just i can already tell i'm not going to get through this in anything like close to an hour so there's so much to talk about when it when it comes to submission what does it look like Uh, what makes it healthy how is it toxic it's these power balances these power dynamics okay so she has this line and she says or he says uh the the girl who would never ask a guy what to do and I don't know why because I wasn't dating anyone it didn't have anything to do with that I don't know why exactly like that just like clicked something in my head for me but it did so I went out of there like on fire and I was like I am throwing the book away so I had a guy on my team that all he wanted to do was he just wanted to be on the computer like all day long, he just wanted to be on the computer. And then I had a girl on my team that she'd already been kind of keeping us afloat for weeks as it was. She was capable of leading the team. I'm actually a good salesperson, believe it or not. I just, I don't really like doing it and I have so much else to do. So I was like, you know what? And the truth is there's there weren't any rules. There, they weren't written. There was no rules about how these things had to be done. They were just kind of accepted. This is how we'd kind of always been taught things had to be done. I don't really like in-person sales, but I'm really good on the phone. But it was kind of a, again, it was an unspoken rule that we were only supposed to phone PR. you were only supposed to like call people. It's kind of like a last resort when we couldn't go in person. And I think a big part of what this had to do with is the founder's son-in-law, he's great in person. He can walk into like a pastor's office and 20 minutes later, like, I don't know that he's ever talked to a pastor that he hasn't booked. He is really good in person. And so because he was good at that, because he had a lot of success at that, it kind of became the standard that everyone else had to live up to. Uh, It became the way that everyone had to do things because he had such great success with talking to people. But that's just who he is. That's not really my strength. I'm really good on the phone. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to throw all the rules out. Uh, There's all these different jobs that we're kind of supposed to all do. And I was like, nope, we're not going to do that. The guy that just wanted to be on the computer, I gave him all of the computer work, like all of the reports, all of the... Um, you know, all the follow-up, all the contracts. There there is actually a lot of paperwork that needs to get done. So I just gave it all to him. And the girl that was already basically running everything anyway, I was like, okay, all of my uh, responsibilities are now yours. You're, For all intents and purposes, uh, you will be doing all the work of the team leader and I am just going to, like, sell performances, basically. The other thing that I decided is I decided that every week... We were going to take a day off. Like, it was ridiculous. The Bible tells us um, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, and it is supposed to be a day of rest. It's not a day you go to church. It's supposed to be a day of rest. And I decided that we were going to work six days and take a day off, kind of like the Bible tells us to, okay? The leader of the organization was not happy with this at all, and I got calls. I wasn't actually breaking any rules. I just wasn't doing things according to the, you know, accepted wisdom. And so she was not happy with this. And she made sure that I knew that she was not happy with this. The problem was I took off. Okay. So I spent the first eight weeks, it's an 18 week tour, so We had 10 weeks left. I spent the first eight weeks basically just sort of paralyzed, couldn't move, didn't know what I was doing, couldn't do anything. So we had 10 weeks left. Um, people that are like really, really like kick butt team leaders could book like 50 or 60 performances in an 18 week tour. Okay. I had 10 weeks left. I had a goal of booking a hundred performances in 10 weeks. And remember the super like top tier uh, you know, best of the best would book like 50 to 60 performances in, a, in an entire 18-week tour. I had a goal of booking 100 in 10 weeks, okay? And doing all that while only working six days a week instead of working seven days a week. I just was booking performances right and left, right and left. I was booking like 10, 12 performances a week and you know I started getting calls from other people in the organization like oh my gosh I'm hearing what's going on that's great oh that's awesome wow that's fantastic right so I'm I'm getting all this like I'm I'm firing everybody else up like I'm inspiring other people um I didn't hit my goal of a hundred uh I booked 75 performances in 10 weeks remember I said you know, the best of the best, the cream of the crap would book like 50 to 60 performances in 18 weeks. I booked 75 performances in 10 weeks. Um, So it worked. And the only call that I got from the head of the organization, who remember was unhappy that I was taking a day off every week and that I was doing things differently. um, The only call I got from her is we... uh, when I started in this organization, we were actually typing our reports with typewriters and we didn't actually move to computers until sometime in like around 2002, 2003. And so the guy that had written the program that we did all of our reports with, he wrote it in access and he was from Australia and they have a different paper size. And so if you don't change the settings There's one of our reports that prints on two pages instead of one. And so she called me personally. This is a worldwide organization. This is a very busy woman. But she made time to call me to make sure that I knew that I was the only person that was still sending this one report on two pages instead of one. That was the only thing that she said to me. Everyone else in the organization is calling me, congratulating me. She calls me to tell me where I'm failing because I'm sending in a report that's still getting printed on two pages instead of one. Um, So that was really the beginning of my going, hmm, this doesn't seem right. And what started to happen is i was i would feel like called or compelled if you will there were certain things that i would feel i'd be like i feel like i need to go here and i need to do this or i feel like i need to go there and do this nothing that i was doing was breaking any rules and there was one um i think it was a couple tours later i was uh, going to florida i was on my way to florida and i had i had been in florida the the previous tour and we didn't have any performances booked in Florida for like the first three weeks. And the organization had had kind of started dwindling a little bit like when her father had the stroke. And um, when she came in and took over, it, there was just a lot of turnover. And so we had, had to close a lot of areas. So there wasn't anyone cor- currently touring in um, like New Mexico. And we were going to go right through New Mexico. I had toured in New Mexico. I still had... Um, friends in New Mexico that that had hosted us and so I just felt like we needed to stop in New Mexico and so I called her husband who was a vice president who based on the way that her father had set things up he should have had equal authority so I called him and I said hey I feel like we need to stop in New Mexico I have these contacts we don't have any performances in Florida." I got the approval from him to stop in New Mexico. And we had this phenomenal, like, absolutely miracle week of ministry. I think we booked, like, six or seven performances. I got so sick. And I never get sick. Like, I just do not get sick. And I got so sick. Um, And so my team actually had to go out. And they had to do some performances. And it was amazing. And they kicked butt. And... I think we um made I think like $1500 or $1800 that week which was actually like a lot of money. That was a really good week. Um and so it was enough to get us to Florida. We literally didn't even have enough money to get The way that it worked is we would book performances and then we would ask some of the first performances to pay us in advance. And so we would use that money Um, to get across the country to go do the performances. And we didn't even have enough money to get to Florida. So it wasn't even like we we could even get to Florida. So like I said, I had called her husband, who was a vice president just like her, who supposedly had equal authority to her. I had called him. I had gotten permission. I literally had not done anything wrong. I get to Florida and I get a call from her and she absolutely... Reams me for stopping in New Mexico because I didn't get her permission. I had her husband's permission. I had the permission of a vice president of the organization, but I didn't get her permission. And so that started the question for me of who am I actually supposed to be following? Am I supposed to be following God or am I supposed to be following you? And in her mind, I actually asked her this question. And in her mind, I was supposed to be following her. Because in her mind, she had God-given authority. Which means that in her mind, her authority trumped God's. Okay? And this happens so often in churches in her mind i was supposed to be submissive to her and not god that is so unbiblical but this happens so many times in our churches and it is something that we need to pay attention to Who do you believe that I am ultimately accountable to, you or God? And way too often in our churches, the answer will be the pastor or the elders. And it is just not true. So that was kind of the beginning of the end uh, for me in this organization. Um, The whole time that I've been in the organization, which at that point in time had been nine and a half years, I had been told, we'd all been told that the founder of the organization did not take any money from the organization. We were told that all of the money that we made, and remember, we're working 70, 80 hours a week because we work 12, 15-hour days, seven days a week. And we get paid $20 to $60 a week. So remember, when it's time to work, we're employees. But when it, time, when it comes time to get paid, all of a sudden, we're volunteers. Uh, So we don't have any control over our own schedule. We are told every minute of the day, like what we need to do. Or when I was the team leader, it was my responsibility to tell other people every minute of the day what they were supposed to be doing. Um, I had to figure that out. So that was part of why I needed a day off is because I needed a day where I didn't have to decide for four other people what they needed to be doing every minute of the day. And they needed a day where I did not decide every minute of the day what they were supposed to be doing. So that's why we needed a day off. And I took one. And as soon as I started taking a day off, we got, we just went into like massive production. Um, so that was when I found out that he was actually taking between 50 and $70,000 a year from the organization. And I realized that that doesn't sound like a whole lot of money. But first of all, you have to remember, um, he started doing this in like the 80s, the 1980s. So 50 to $70,000 a year was a lot more money in the 1980s, number one. And number two, we were lied to about it. We were never told about it. So the deal is that when you don't know something, you're not responsible for it, right? But once you find something out, then you become responsible. So I had been telling everybody for years that that the founder of the organization did not take any money from the organization. And that comes up a lot. And we tell people that all the time. Oh, no, he doesn't take any. No, he doesn't make any money. He doesn't take any money from the organization. We were told, by the way, let me just say, um, he lived in the same neighborhood that the Kardashians live in. Okay, it's called Calabasas. Um, And he literally lived like less than a mile from the Kardashians. Okay, so that's the neighborhood that he lived in. And we were told that he, he had been like a screenwriter in Hollywood. So we were told that he still had properties in Hollywood that he was still making money off of, that he was still getting royalties from. And that's how he afforded to live in the same neighborhood as Kim Kardashian. Now, that's probably true. But what was not true was that he wasn't taking any money from the ministry. So I found out that he was actually taking, uh, I don't even know how much it was. What I heard was fifty to $70,000. But I think that was what he was making in the 80s. And i I feel like that probably went up quite a bit by the time I found out. Um, and so I didn't, I, what I also understood and what I recognized is that I had slowly watched a very long line of people come to understand the things that I was recognizing and they had gone and they had done, you know, the good Matthew 18 thing. They'd gone quietly and they'd approach the leadership and they had also very quietly been ushered out of the organization and people that have experienced church abuse knows how this works um when someone gets kicked out of the organization everyone else gets told oh uh we had a word for it called png or persona non grata when somebody was labeled png by the ministry we're no longer allowed to talk to them so you know there, there could be people that had been, in. I know for a fact, I can remember one specific couple, they'd been in the organization for, I think, like 15 years. And they started to have some uh, issues with the organization. They went, they talked to the leadership, and they just were kind of, the next day, they're like, PNG, they're just gone. We don't know where they've gone, We and we're not allowed to talk to them. This is a big... Um, that's a big red flag right there for organizations is when people disappear and you're encouraged to not talk to them, to not find out why, to not find out what happened because what's happening is the leadership is protecting itself. Um, so I found out all these things. I also realized that a lot of people had been quietly shuffled out of the ministry when they figured out what I figured out. And so I didn't go that route. Um, I gathered together all of the email addresses that I could find of every current and former member of the organization. And I wrote some really long emails about all of the things that I had discovered about the organization. And I was angry. I was angry, angry. And so (laughs) needless to say, they chose to focus on my anger. They're like, well, she's just really angry. And so we don't need to listen to her. We should not pay attention to her because she's just really angry. Um, They weren't wrong. I was angry. I think I had a lot of reasons for being angry. Like I'd been lied to for 10 years. Like I'd been working 70 hours a week for $20 a week for a man that is taking $70,000 a year and lying about it. Um... So there just there was a lot to that, but the bottom line is that this is what happens in churches: is that too often we are taught that we are to be that we are su- to submit to our authorities, which they claim are God given. But let's talk about this organization for just a minute. The founder of the organization, like I said, his name is Charles Tanner. We were a nonprofit organization, okay. And so since we are missionaries, we're considered a missions organization, but he decided to leave his business, right? So this is the conflict that that constantly kind of comes up, and this comes up with our churches. Our churches' organizations, do they belong to the community or do they belong to a person? Because this is the problem. We're missionaries. We're there to serve God. And, you know, and we're told you're missionaries, you know, you're doing the work of God, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so this is what we're told every day. We're missionaries. We're doing the work of God. We're there because God called us to be there. We get paid $20 a week because, you know, we're missionaries. Um, but then he can leave the organization—he can appoint his daughter and two men to lead the organization. So where is God in all of that? We didn't—we didn't decide who our leader was going to be. He just decided to leave the ministry that he built to his. Do- That's what you do with a business. So this is the big problem: is that there's all these inconsistencies when it comes time to work. You're an employee. When it comes time to get paid, you're a volunteer. Um, it's a ministry, and yet apparently he owns it and he can leave it to whoever he chooses to, like his daughter. And then his daughter comes in, and I'm supposed to submit to her and not God, Okay. The, there's just there's so many toxic elements. There's so much wrong there. There's so much wrong there. I it is not my God-given responsibility to submit to her when God is calling me or or leading me in a different direction. Okay, and this is what happens in churches: is that we are taught that we are supposed to submit to our authorities, but really. Those authorities put themselves in that place. God did not appoint her. God did not, you know, speak from a burning bush and say, this is the person that I've appointed. God did not appoint her. Her father appointed her. She was not ordained of God to be the leader. Her father decided, her earthly father left her the business that he founded. Uh, So these are the power dynamics that we need to understand when we talk about submission because they are so abused in churches. And when they're abused in churches, they also get abused in relationships, okay? Because these these same power dynamics are taught in, in the concept in marriages, right? Like male headship, like the man has authority and the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. But the problem is, um, I think it was Donald Miller that uh, I heard this, this concept of when you play the tape forward. When you look at the power dynamics and you play the power dynamics out and you say, okay, how does this actually work? And then you play the tape all the way to the very end, it doesn't work. Okay, so. Emerson Egricks uses these two acronyms to talk about, you know, women need this and men need this. And first of all, uh, I've said this before and I will say it again, this idea of men need this and women need this is so destructive, okay? Especially when you're talking about relationships because it doesn't matter whether you think that, you know, gay relationships are right or wrong, they exist, okay? So uh, one of the overarching themes of the Bible is that God always deals with us exactly where we are. God deals with us based on the way things are. God recognizes and understands that we live in an imperfect world, okay? So when you have kings that have 700 wives and, you know, 300 concubines, uh, God's not over here coming down on all these women for, you know, being harlots, let's say, okay? Okay? it's men that do that men are always blaming women for the thing for the for the uh circumstances that men create women live in the circumstances that men create and then men blame women for it okay Um, So God has always understood the realities of the world that we live in. And God is always giving rules that apply to everyone. It is man that is always trying to make the rules apply to someone else, but not to them. We're always trying to figure out, uh, how do I get authority over as many people as possible without ever letting anyone have authority over me? That's kind of the never-ending game, okay? How do I be the person that gets to decide where everyone else is wrong without letting anyone decide where I'm wrong? Okay? This is the game. This is the power and control and authority game. You have to be submissive to me. I don't have to be submissive to anyone else. That's not how power and authority works. Power, you do not get power without responsibility. So Emerson Egricks uses these uh, acronyms. And again, he's like, men are this, women are this. Okay. Relationships are relationships are relationships. And relational, healthy relational dynamics will work in any relationship. Doesn't matter if you're talking about a marriage. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a business relationship. It doesn't matter if you're talking about a same-gender relationship. Um, a relationship between a, a cisgender and a transgender. It does not matter. Body parts do not matter. Okay? When it comes to relationships, when it comes to the um, principles of relationships, body parts don't matter. They either work or they don't work. They're either toxic or they're healthy, period, end of story, okay? So he has these acronyms for men and women, and what I'm going to show you is what they do is they they purposefully set up a power dynamic that is not going to work. It is going to fail, okay? Um, But I'm actually going to get into that next week. I'm kind of running long, and so... um, I I want to try and keep these episodes at uh, around an hour or less. Uh I do have a um I'm working on this blog and podcast about Yellowstone, kind of deconstructing the TV show Yellowstone and showing how it is the perfect parallel to the church. Um what it says about leadership um and 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 why, why the church is so toxic? What, what are these power structures that keep the church from being healthy? Okay. Um, that will be available only to subscribers. You can go to Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Robin thinks you can, you can support me on Patreon. You could subscribe on Substack, same thing, substack.com slash Robin thinks, um, so I'm working on that. That Again, that will only be available to Patreon or Substack subscribers. If you want to be a part of my brand new Instagram community, I'm kind of slowly uh, building there. Uh, that's Robin-Thinks, at Robin-Thinks. And same thing on Twitter, at Robin-Thinks. Um, you can also just follow me on Twitter, which is Robin-Thinks. And... Um, I'm just, I'm working on a lot of things. I'm kind of like slowly getting this up and running. And so I'll continue talking about submission next week. I'm going to specifically talk about the power imbalance or the power structure that is created by following Emerson Egrick's model, why it doesn't work. And I'm also, next week I want to talk about what the pandemic did to relationships. Uh, But that's what I want to talk about next week is I want to continue talking about submission. I want to talk about what it looks like if you follow Emerson-Egrick's model. And it can work for a while. It can work for a really long time until you meet a very specific circumstance. And I think that Emerson-Egrick's principles, like following that model is a recipe for divorce. Uh, and, and I'm going to talk about why that is. So next week I'm going to continue on with submission and um, I'll see you next week.